watched your movie on my way back from Europe to Canada and then I saw your message on my Instagram. I was like, this is so cool. Yeah, well I thought I thought your stuff was hilarious because my family is is joint. Um my, my former wife is half um Belarusian, half Estonian. So my kids speak like multiple languages and um it yeah, I, I could relate to your comedy to such a hilarious degree because so many of my friends over here in Estonia are Russian. Right. Yeah. Russian or Eastern European. And then when I'm in the US, it's Americans. And it is your comedy was just so refreshing. Thank you. <laughs> I started to make it during what felt like the 500th lockdown in the province that I was living in. Uh -huh. um, because I, I used to I'm an auditor by trade. So I used to work in kind of like a you know corporate environment. Right. But I've always enjoyed entertaining people, making people laugh. And it was kind of like the silver linings of my right. my lockdown anyways. So yeah, thank you. So that explains what brought you to Estonia then, because that was the mm -hmm. first question I was going to ask you. You right. were born in Malaysia. Mm -hmm. You lived in the United States and Estonia is your home base. So Estonia is where I'm living right now. See, I was I was in Malaysia and um, the country went through the worst COVID lockdown of the G50 countries. Malaysia was the worst hit. There were military on the streets. 14 of my neighbors in my neighborhood got arrested for jogging. Uh, the problem with Asia is that Asians have a really intense adherence to rules. And the rules that were imposed in Malaysia during the lockdown were just absolutely stupid and nonsensical. And so it was so tough. And then schools were closed for two years and I have two kids. So my, 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 the, the mother of my children, uh, my um, my ex-wife, Christina, she said, hey, let's move back to Estonia uh, so the kids can go to school. And so we packed our bags, we got permission from the government to leave, and we settled in Estonia. And so um, it was the smartest decision I made in maybe the last decade, because I absolutely love it here. It's miserable and cold, but it's so much better than Malaysia. Yeah. Oh. Especially with children. I have some friends who moved out of Canada during lockdowns mm -hmm. because they had kids and there was no school and it's so much tougher, tougher on them right. than even adults. So, well, I have a soft spot for Eastern Europe because obviously I'm from there. Even uh, though what, Estonia what is sort of in Eastern Europe, Europe, do you come from? Moldova. Okay. So that's so interesting. So my kids, my kid's grandmother was born in Moldova. Amazing. Yeah. Oh, I love it. You know, I find pretty much every single person who you meet who's from like Eastern Europe, former USSR republics, they'll have all of these cultures mixed in. Exactly. Right? Like you right? have, I'm like a quarter Ukrainian. I have some Polish in me and then Russian and, you know, just all, all of the mixes. Right. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Um, yeah, because you, Moldova, Moldova was part of Romania and then Stalin seized it in 1940. 1940 or 1941 and then it became independent i think in 1991 and yeah. so yeah all of these countries were part were one and the same yeah and so many similarities right that's what i love with any of those countries that you visit you'll see the same things some differences but people are very similar the mentality is very similar and some yeah. of the the bad same things yes we just got back we just got back from a holiday it was the kids holiday so we took them to romania and um, as we were touring Romania, there were so many reminders of the Soviet past that were horrifying that that we encountered. See, when when I married my uh, my Estonian girlfriend in two thousand two, 
um, every time I visited her in Estonia, and even when we got married, we would stay at her parents' house, which was this communist-style apartment, right? Like one bedroom, one bedroom. The kitchen was super tiny. I don't know how four people could eat around a table like this big. Um, and so we, we I, I had one of the final glimpses of that communist-era lifestyle. And it's so amazing now to be in Estonia, where we have the highest number of entrepreneurs per capita, where Estonia is now the most technologically advanced country in the world. But there was a lot of washing to get and cleaning that we had to go through to get out of that horrendous, horrible, like life-sapping communist past imposed by the Soviets. Yeah. And the thing is, the the mental game that people had to go through to change, right. like even watching my parents go from like being very just in that communist state of mind to the last, you know, 15, 10 years, they've, sh especially my mom, she's completely shifted her, you know, worldview. And it's for sure. Yeah. I grew up in one of those communist blocks, Khrushchevka, as they're called. And yes, yeah. it was five of us and would be the equivalent of a one bedroom apartment in the United States, pretty much. So yeah, I'm very familiar with it. <laughs> it's, it's crazy. It's crazy how communism just sucked the life out of everything well there's no individuality there's no uh -huh. you know you, you you report to the state and the state is almost like what you worship and if you disobey right. or if you do anything that goes against them then you know it's but anyways i also um noted that you used to be an engineer briefly or you said i still am an engineer and how did that transition go and how did that happen? I have three friends who were engineers. In their case, they were engineers. And then they worked for a little bit and they were like, you know what? No, it's just not my path. And funny enough, they found themselves down some kind of healing career. So, you know, meditation and teaching meditation or teaching some kind of healing job in right. the world. So, so I'll give you the philosophical answer. I believe that life life that we experience is part intention and part destiny and that there is a a path that our soul puts us on to give us exactly the lessons and the ideas we need to learn to fulfill our destiny so in my case i became an engineer for the wrong reasons too because my grandfather suggested i became an engineer i was so not into engineering i just barely graduated from the university of michigan my gpa was 2.54 which means any lower and i would have failed but what I found is that what I learned in engineering is so applicable to what I'm doing in life today. For example, my first book, uh, which became um, the best-selling book in the world at one point, is called The Code of the Extraordinary Mind. And literally what I'm doing is I'm applying, I'm applying analytical thinking and computational theory to unravel beliefs. And I suggest 10 beliefs that people should have to leave, lead an extraordinary life. And it's no, it's no coincidence that it's called the code because literally I see the world in code. So today, for example, Mind Valley, how we became one of the world's biggest health platforms is that we basically have a um, technology platform that's way better than any of the competition. And when we started the first years, I had no employees. So I coded that platform myself. So that's the second way where my engineering degree helped me. I was a meditation instructor, but I knew how to code. And in 2003, when we didn't have some of the tools we had today, I coded my own CRM. I coded my own interactive web pages. I coded my own checkout because there was no spot Shopify. And that's how I was able to like take my 
career as a meditation teacher and help it soar. So in a way, engineering can be useful, but the biggest use is the way it gets you to think. So right now I'm using tools such as Airtable, which is no, it's, it's a form of no code software. So it's software where you can build things without having to be like a world-class coder. And I use it to take every thing, al algorithm in my head that I apply as a CEO and put it in a computer. So because of that, my workload for uh, a guy who runs a, a massive company is surprisingly small. Like I am shocked by how little I have to do to create maximum output. But that's because almost everything I do is in tools like Airtable. And so they are, I've taken the thought process in my head and I've put it in machines and they run, they help run the company for me with my employees. And I think that's the greatest thing I got from engineering school. I can't code for shit right now, but the thinking level that I got has completely transformed my life. Yeah. The methodical, very calculated way of thinking. Yeah. It's called computational thinking. So I see the world through that lens. And it's Interesting. That's amazing. Did you see that the world that way before you became an engineer or did no, going no. into engineering, engineering helped me do that. You know, like I love learning concepts like data structures. I love understanding um, logic, uh, computational logic, and all of these things. It, it helps you understand the thoughts going through your head and break it down into systems and processes. And then to deploy these systems and processes across your entire business so that you can automate like crazy. So if I were to ask you, I have a feeling, you know, you know how sometimes people ask you like, what time would you love to live in or time travel to? I have a feeling you wouldn't want to time travel to any oh, yes. other could time except please, for this one. Could, we could you please ask interesting questions? Not that the previous questions were not interesting, but I've been on so many podcasts talking about the six phase meditation and spirituality <laughs> and manifesting and oh God, you are a comedian, so I wanted I wanted comedy. I wanted you to make fun of me. I want questions that no one else would ask me. Could we do that, Christina? We can absolutely do that. To be honest with you, I didn't really want to talk to you about your area of work anyway. That's <laughs> no, just kidding. Fantastic. <laughs> just kidding. It's like you know when you um, see a celebrity. I used to work in the service industry when I first moved to Canada, and. Mm -hmm. It was sort of a blessing because I didn't know a lot of the famous people right. in, in the city that I worked in. And I would treat them just like normal human beings and they loved it, right? Because they were so tired of going to places and constantly getting the attention right. or being asked the same questions. So it's kind of the same with you. You don't really want to get asked those questions, right? So exactly. yeah, what, what time would you want to travel to? I have a feeling you wouldn't want to travel to any other time except for 2022 oh, no. with I the technology. No, 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 no. I know exactly what time I want to travel to. I want to be in 1920s Paris. You know, oh, I, okay. I, I love swing dancing. I love the music of that era. I love the way men dressed in suits. So, um, the only thing that bothers me about that right. time is uh -huh. I, I don't know if they used stuff like deodorant back then like maybe in 1920 no, it was right. a thing you're already right. you know you're right, you're right. otherwise mm -hmm. yes if i could take some of the modern things that we have today and time travel then then yes otherwise yeah, so you're right deodorant well i'm sure the french smelled good back then because i mean french and perfume but but yeah brushing your teeth americans didn't brush their teeth until the 1930s and more so in the 1940s in the 1920s 
I read that the U.S. Army issued a health alert because so many soldiers were losing their teeth because there was no such thing as as、uh, dental hygiene.、Yeah. I went to a perfume museum, Museum of Perfume in Paris,、mm-hmm. just a month ago. I was there, and、uh, actually, perfume was invented to cover、um, body odor because people didn't、really? shower. Yeah, I think the only,、um, I guess, nation or people that. Actually bathed and took care of themselves that way were the Romans, the Roman Empire. They had like baths and stuff like that. But the British, the French, you know, it's kind of like a、you、new know, development. You're killing, you're killing my like 1920 fantasies. Why did why did I why did I even talk to you? But, but <laughs> you're there, welcome. There, there's this there's this amazing movie. I I can't remember the name, but it's about.、Uh, it's literally about a guy who goes back to 1920s Paris. Right, he time travels, and then there he meets a girl, and they have a conversation, and she says that her her favorite era, if she could go back, would be eighteen nineties Paris, and somehow he time travels to eighteen nineteen Paris, and there he meets another person, and their favorite era is eighteen sixties Paris, and it's it's I think it's called Midnight in Paris. Could that be it? Oh yeah yeah yeah. I think you yes, might be right. Yes, Midnight yeah, in yeah, Paris. Yeah. Midnight in、yeah. Paris. It's Rachel McAdams and Owen Wilson.、Yes. Such a good movie, but、yes. and Adrian Brody and Tom Hiddleston, and it reminds me of this conversation. But see, that way, I would definitely travel just for like a night or a day. But to yeah, actually, as long live, as you don't encounter smelly people. As long as I don't encounter smelly people, and the level、right. of medicine too. Like, if I get, you know, God forbid, hurt, I feel like today it's probably better. It is. It is. Yeah, they probably wouldn't put a, le- a leech on you. <laughs> oh, but yeah, no. I mean, there's there's definitely, I guess, curiosity in all times. For me, maybe it would be the '50s and '60s Paris, like you know, when the after the war, when everything was kind of going. You're right. Going up、You're、in right. life, Paris right? Paris in the '50s. I haven't seen enough movies to try to idealize that era. To me, it's all about swing dancing. I'm big on swing dancing, and so I want to go back to any era where swing was the dominant form of dancing and music. Do you actually dance swing? Swing dancing? I do. do you just, I you do. do. Are there、mm-hmm. any videos online that we could maybe pull up and、Absolutely、see that? Not. <laughs> Absolutely not. Absolutely not. I just got back from LA, and I was hanging out with some friends, and they decided to take. I decided to go to a swing club. It was so much fun. I didn't expect that. Not gonna lie, an engineer with a meta- very methodical Wait, mind. Wait, why? Why would you not? Why would you not? I don't know. Expect. I mean, dancing is so common. Everybody can dance. I think it's not. It's not the dance part. It's the the, the swing dancing. I would have thought、right. maybe ballroom dancing or maybe、Ugh. like hip hop dancing. No, what do you mean? I used to dance ballroom dancing. Ballroom dancing、fun. is so slow. Swing dancing, like you're twirling people around. The music is so uplifting. The footwork, the jumping, it's so high energy. And it's really good for your mind. Maybe, yeah. Well, I, 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 no, I. To dance swing, I need at least two gin and tonics before like all of my、um, my shyness goes away. And that gin and tonics are not good for my mind. Gin and tonics, no. But the dancing is, especially if、yeah. you learn if you learn new steps, right? You you kind of、uh, train your brain, I guess, to do new things. They say it's good for you. So it's so much fun. Is gin and tonic your drink of choice? It is, though. Though right now I'm on this incredible health cleanse. I'm measuring the impact of a health cleanse on my mental faculties, and what I'm finding is that sleep has gotten so much better. Energy is up. I'm so much more focused at work. But literally, all I'm doing is I did Prolon, the Prolon diet. It's、um, 
It's a five-day low-calorie fast, but it's really popular, a P-R-O-L-O-N. And then after Prolon, I jumped into WildFit, which is a, um, it's a program MindValley is affiliated with. And WildFit basically is, right now I'm just drinking tea, water, meat, and veggies, literally no carbs, no sugar. And it's, it's fascinating because I'm losing about, about a centimeter off my waist every week. My waist is just shrinking. Um, and at the same time, energy and clarity is so incredible. Um, so it's so good to, to go through these moments. So right now I'm not really drinking much. Tomorrow I'm tossing a massive Halloween party here in Tallinn, but I'm going to be going to that party with nothing more than sparkling water. Oh, nice. Very nice. My drink of choice is always wine. I don't drink anything else besides wine. Um, it does make my accent come out quite a bit. Yeah. Like if I is, have is that? two and then th if I have three glasses of wine, that's it. Like you can practically just like, can you do your accent yeah. for me? <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. I don't just turn it on like that. You know? It's, oh, that's so hilarious. It's not something that they do. <laughs> I kind of, I don't know how I got rid of it, to be honest. I just, I guess, practiced. I, I love the way Canadians speak English, Canadians and, uh -huh. and Americans. So I just kind of, I guess, tried my best to mimic as much as I can the, the way they speak. But there's still some words that I can't pronounce very well. Like before I say the word oven, I have to stop and like think mm -hmm. because Oven comes out always, or onion. Oven. It's onion. <laughs> I can't say. I need to put it onion. in the oven. Uh, you're of Indian descent, right? Um, Cindy. Okay. So Cindy, to... Cindy is one of the many different uh, ethnic groups that create that make up India. India is basically just a British creation. There, there's no technical ethnicity that is Indian, nor a language group, nor yeah. a religion that is Indian. Is it? Is Desi the term that describes people from India or? Desi, Desi is, it's, it's slang to describe people from India, just like um, white is used to describe people from the European continent. So it's not a very accurate term, but okay. for example, Indians from Punjab and Tamil Nadu and Sindh and Gujarat are all as different as the Greeks, the French, the Italians and the Germans. Mm. I right. see. So, so saying you're of Indian descent is like saying you're of European descent. It's correct, but it doesn't really give you much information. So I'm Sindhi, which means my people are from a province called Sindh. But here's where it gets even more, more, more complex. Sindh was part of Afghanistan before 1850. Then it became part of India. Then it became, now it's part of Pakistan. And so basically nationalities, th these nation states, Afghanistan, Pakistan, India, were all just created by the British. Wherever the British drew a line in the sand, that's where your national identity came from. Uh, that et ethnic identity, that is really true identity, because even if you immigrate to a different country, you have the language, you have the culture. My ethnic identity is Sindhi. I always said that I think India should be its own continent with how much culture there is, how many languages there are. Yeah, 863 different dialects in India. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. It's so interesting. Um, I So I thought that you know, Slavic people and Russians can party hard. And I have a friend who is from New Delhi and she married a gentleman from Mumbai. And I went to her wedding. I was a bridesmaid at, at her wedding. She had kind of a traditional, but also a little bit westernized wedding. And um, 
Slavic people and Russians, I don't think they, they got, we ain't got nothing on, <laughs> on Indian people and how they can party or people from India, at least from, you know, where the two of them were from and their families. It was yeah. insane. I've never seen anything like that. Yeah. Indian weddings are three days. They are, they are three days. And in some, in some different Indian cultures and families, it's five days, but it's, they're some of the most fun weddings. And at least in my culture, Sindhi, uh, Hindu Sindhi culture, there's also Muslim Sindhi culture, Muslim Sindhi culture, of course, weddings would have no alcohol, but Hindu Sindhi culture, the weddings are about alcohol and about dancing and about fun and partying. And it's, it's incredible. Um, it's so incredible that I actually started cause, and I attended so many Cindy weddings when I was young, that I created a festival, a fest inspired by some of the funness I saw at these weddings. Uh, if you go to Instagram, a fest, a F E S T, it's this massive festival, but the nuances, the artistry, the music, the dancing, the, the connections were inspired by the culture I grew up in, uh, cause it was just so much fun. So yes, uh, Indian weddings, uh, Hindu, Hindu Indian weddings. <laughs> If we're, if you're talking about drinking and partying, then it's, it's gotta be Hindu are some of the most incredible and fun weddings you can attend. And it literally felt like a festival. It was a destination wedding. They did it in Mexico and for seven days straight, people didn't stop young, old, didn't matter. Everybody just Gosh, from this was seven sunrise. days. Yeah. Seven days. Yeah. They were exhausted by the end of it. The bride and the groom, understandably, but I mean, for us guests, it was it was one of the most fun experiences I've ever had in my life for sure. And then I was thinking about all the weddings I attended back home because they're also usually around two to three days, mm -hmm. but it's one day when you go all out and then you kind of stop, right? It's not, it doesn't right. go nonstop. Whereas for her wedding, it was, I was like, where do you get all this energy from? How do you not, you know, I know, just... you know, the problem with Indian weddings, they are so expensive to put on. I've been to Indian weddings where the family was spending a million dollars a day for five days. So five million to put on the most incredible wedding with the most insane parties, 800 people. But after all that time expenditure and money expenditure, if the marriage doesn't work out, you really feel like a failure. I knew you were going to say is, that. Yep. <laughs> this, this is why, this is why, um, Indians have a divorce rate of 3% as opposed to Canadians and Americans where it's over 50%, right? But that's not necessarily a good thing. Like, like in Indian culture, divorce, which is actually very healthy, can be really, really, really healthy, is seen as massive failure. And so, so many people stay in a marriage that just isn't working for them rather than moving on in a healthy way. Yeah. Yeah. I was talking to just a couple of days ago with someone I had on my podcast, she, um, she said, lawyer in England and she specializes in divorce and specifically divorcing narcissists, men and women. Mm -hmm. And we were talking about that and you know, there's specifically, we're talking about like the effect on kids and she said something very interesting that kids don't need just parents. They need happy parents. And so mm -hmm. it really resonates, you know, when you hear something like that, because I'm sure we've all had you know, situations in life where we've either seen it or we've yeah. experienced it when you realize that, you know what, you really, you really do need happy parents mm -hmm. and happy people around you. Yeah. 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 Very, very, very true. It's interesting how different, different cultures are. I heard that the highest rate of divorce is in Russia and I have no idea why. Is it? 
Yeah. Oh, that's so interesting. Yeah. So I don't know. But if you think about all the, you know, compatibility issues and all sorts of other issues that human beings experience, and, you know, you brought up the number of over 50% in United States and Canada. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I wonder why it's not more because right. you can experience, well, well, at least you see people experience issues on, on almost a daily basis. So, yeah, that's true. Yeah. And so we were talking just to touch a little bit because I am, you know, just curious, I guess, how did you get, because I get a lot of questions from my audience. Uh, I'm not going to ask you about the six phase meditation. I'm just going to ask you if you can give someone advice who's experiencing a situation in life where they just, you know, don't have time. They're super busy because you're obviously a really busy person. You're an entrepreneur. You run a very busy company. How do you find time to do all the things that you do and still look like you're having fun? Still deal with business boundaries, boundaries. So for example, one of my boundaries is that I must create seven and a half hours of sleep a day. So if I know I have to be up for an 8 a.m. meeting and I have an hour in the morning where I need to meditate and get dressed and um, I I always do a mind body program in the morning for about 20 minutes. So I need about an hour um, of my own free time. If I have an 8 a.m. meeting, that means I have to be up by by, by about 6.30 to get everything together. So that means I'll go to bed at what? At like 11 p.m. So these boundaries create this, 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 space where I'm taking care of my sleep, I'm taking care of my meditation, I'm taking care of my learning time, and so on. But I also have boundaries that happen for the month, for the week, for the year. So an example of that is I stop working at 7.30, okay? And if I don't have any meetings um, after 6, then I stop working at 6. But I stop working at 7.30, and I do not go back to work. If there's anything I need to do, it can wait till the next day. From 7.30 all the way till 11 when I go to bed, it's time for me to spend time with my kids, with friends. Um, so tonight, for example, I'm going to go out and have dinner with friends. Then I'm going to go watch an episode of the latest Disney Plus show with my kids. Then I'm going to come back and read a bit or watch a bit of Netflix. Then I'm going to be in bed, but I will not touch work. And so with these boundaries, what happens is that you steadily reduce and reduce and reduce the amount of time you're dedicating to your job. And this may seem dangerous, but it's actually not. It forces you to be hyper-productive. When you have to get everything related to your company done in 40 hours a week, you become hyper-optimized. So in my case, today I met with my team and I said, hey guys, I noticed that there's this task I'm doing right now, which is taking up four hours a week. I want to open up a position immediately and hire someone to take this task away from me. And so I keep looking at how can I shed task and how can I further reduce my working hours? My goal is to get down to only having to work 21 hours a week. And still be as productive as you would be technically. And still, and still run a billion dollar company. Mm-hmm. Now, as you, as you do that, what also happens is stress disappears. So, so, so here's the crazy thing, right? Stress often happens because we aren't getting enough sleep, because we aren't exercising, because we aren't eating healthy. And so we think that if we compress our work and give ourselves more time to sleep, more time to be healthy, more time to meditate, more time to eat well, more time to work out, we're going to get stressed out because we have less time for work. Actually, no. You make your body, your brain, your soul so resilient, stress doesn't touch you. 
and you will find ways. And if you, you will find ways to fit what you need to do in that 21 or 35 or 40 hours. What happens if you don't get enough sleep and how many days can you function without the seven and a half hours? It is a, well, I, if I, if I sleep for six hours, then I'll make sure I take like an hour long nap. Um, in okay. the middle of the in the middle of the day, in my office we have napping pods because we want to give people a chance to take a nap. If you don't sleep uh, enough, it messes up your your emotions. It messes up your your um, your health in serious ways. It will affect your your ideation, your thought patterns, your speed of thinking. You become significantly slower at everything you do, and so it's just not worth it. Yeah. I had a sleep, Australia's number one sleep expert on my podcast, and she mm-hmm. was talking about how even one night of bad sleep can lead to like just all sorts of problems. Obviously, you then recover yeah. from it and whatnot, but it is very important, your endocrine system and everything. How did you find that with having kids? I don't have kids, and whenever I you know, hear of people actually being able to organize their day and their evenings to get enough sleep, it's always curious to me because obviously it's tougher when you have children. It must be. No, it's not. Well, it's tough in the first two years, right? I I remember having to wake up in the middle of the night and burp my kid on my shoulder. Um, And and it's tough for the first two years. So so no, no denying that. But after a while, you train your kids to adopt your behavior. So my kids go to bed at the right time. They wake up at the right time. And um, they, they're, they're fairly independent. I don't really need to dedicate too much to them. Okay. That doesn't sound so bad, actually. <laughs> That's no. not so scary. That's something that um, my husband is very, very adamant about getting, it's kind of same as you, seven and a half hours of sleep. And I used to kind of be a little bit more, I guess I would make fun of him because if he doesn't get seven and a half hours one night, he's grumpy. And I'm like, oh, come on, it's not that bad. But the more I learn about it, the more right. I realize that it's just, and it can also affect different people differently, right? Yeah, because it's going to affect your brain chemistry, right? If you don't get enough sleep, it's going to affect your brain chemistry and thus your moods. Yeah. He's going to listen to this and say, see, I told you, there's another person in the world who thinks the way I do. Seven and a half is, is perfect. It's perfect for men. For women, it typically is eight to eight and a half. Don't you think women usually get less sleep than men? No, women actually require more sleep than men, if you look at the scientific literature. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. I, I Maybe it depends also on the the people, like individually, in a way. I heard that yeah, there's... Yeah, for th- sure, right? So I'm, I'm speaking about in general, yeah, in yeah. general terms. For sure. I've heard somewhere that some people have a gene where they can just sleep less, and then others, others just need more. Well, Vishen, we're at half hour. Um, I don't want to hold you any longer. The only thing that I want to request before I let you go is if there's any way we can see the the swing dance videos online. No, absolutely not. <laughs> I, I, it does not exist online. No, but that's awesome. I It was a pleasure speaking to you. It was a pleasure to meet you. And yeah, hope we can connect in the future and have a great absolutely. evening. And keep up the hilarious comedy. Absolutely. I honestly cannot wait to log back in. In a way, I was like, it's kind of nice to get a break and it's probably necessary because right. I've been online for the last two years pretty much nonstop, but I miss it. It's, it's fun to entertain people and make people laugh. So yeah, yeah. it's Thanks hilarious. So much. And I hope, I hope I'll see you at a future Mind Valley event. You and your hubby should come to A-Fest. 
Absolutely. You guys do them internationally, right? Like in yeah, the next one is and... happening first first week of May in Cartagena, Colombia. Beautiful. Are you going to be there? Yes, I'm always there. I'm, I'm always there. Y y y check it out. It's something that I think you would absolutely love. Okay, I'll be sure to. Yeah, I, okay. I love that. I've watched very many videos um, from Mind Valley, and every single one of them is just amazing. So I'm I have no doubt. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, Christina. Have a great evening. Thank you so much for your time. Take care. Bye. You too. Bye. Thank you for listening to Catamania. If you like this podcast, feel free to follow Catamania on YouTube, as well as follow me, your host, on Instagram and TikTok with the handle being Christina Cataman. C-R-I-S-T-I-N-A-C-A-T-A-M-A-N. Stay blessed, my friends.